wait, wait, you, you want me to be like funny haha or funny what I'd do with David Tennant and Nathan Fillion with two hours and a bottle of baby oil? Oh, oh, okay. Um, hi, this is Julie Maris from Wicked Unscripted, and here comes Sci Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. If you're listening to us live in Kuala Lumpur, good morning, everybody, and welcome to TalkCast 269, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Deep in the Fortress of Solitude in Area 51, waiting for the Godonuts and coffee, I am the Dome, Chief Pontificator. Joining the TalkCast tonight, the rest of the gang of four, in the Revere Time Vortex, the technical omnivore, running everything behind the scenes and jumping in front of the scenes and, and just enjoys jumping and running. It's our own girl, Genius Kriana. Whatever you're thinking, no. From the stacks of her personal space in the dank dungeons, only indoor Zen Spring Garden, which is cultivating pods and peas and purple plants for Pluto reunification with the rest of the universe day, it's the Cat Whisperer Zombrarian. <coughs> From a galaxy as far away as you might have thought it would be. The woman in chainmail who trolls ABC executives, harassing them to renew Agent Carter for a second season, red lipstick and all because that's the way she rolls, Sir Sarah Lady Knight. I'm really glad I seem to have started a trend of us just meowing at each other. I think that is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> to be <laughs> fair, very- you didn't start it, Malcolm started it, and this is what he has to say about it. Per- we're going to do a very special episode sometime that's all just us meowing back and forth. Amazing. It will be a day that I'm sick with any luck at all. So how's that different? Exactly. Hmm. Our guest tonight. Some you may have heard before. Some you may have never heard of before. All very interesting gentlemen. The brothers Belanger, Derek, and Brian are with us. And their co-conspirator Chuck Davis to talk about a study in terror... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's revolutionary stories of fear and the supernatural. Did I get that right, guys? You did. Yes, volumes one and two. Awesome. And we're going to also be talking, hopefully, about a third book called The McDougal Twins with Sherlock Holmes. Uh, All kinds of cool stuff that's going on uh, in the second half of the show. But first, the news. Slight hesitation, but we're getting better with that. <laughs> it's like you always forget that that's supposed to happen right there. Or I need to clip the front of it. One or the other. Possibly both at this point. So, Sarah, uh, yes. we were looking over the, the show chat earlier before we actually began 
and pressed the red button and said, let's throw this it's, out to the rest of the universe. It's not red. What color is it? Something of a gray type of shade. A gray, the grayish gunmetal button. Somewhat. And we were going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in particular. Actually, I thought we were going to talk about Agent Carter. I mean, I wish there was news about Agent Carter, because I will gladly talk about Agent Carter for um, hours. Um, no, 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 years. Years. Okay, so Just how years? many how many executives millennia? have you harassed this um, week? Infinity? Infinite amount of time? I'm sorry, Dome, were you speaking? Because I was really busy thinking about Agent Carter. <laughs> I said, how many, how many ABC executives did you harass this week? Uh, about five million. Perfect. Yeah. They Getting deserve there. it. We Working need down to second it. season. Not a question, not a problem. Right. But we I did want to talk a little bit about scenes in a movie. <laughs> That's really what I need. Please please keep in mind, Firefly got thirteen episodes before it got yanked. Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? Absolutely nothing, but I just okay. want you to keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, so wait, but no, if we're gonna talk about Firefly, then first I have to mention that we're going to post a link to... Okay, so full disclosure, I don't watch The Flash, but I know a lot of people do. You don't even know, Barry! You don't even know! Oh my god, oh my god. So many people just started yelling the same thing at me. Because we love The Flash. We love The Flash. I'm sure it's a great show, but the point is that three of the guys from The Flash released a gospel version of them singing the Ballad of Serenity Valley. Yes. Yes, that was the coolest thing ever. Glorious, and it's wonderful, and you should all watch it, listen to it. It's lovely. Just lovely. That's it. That's, that's all I got about that. That's literally, go watch it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. So let, let's talk about this last week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, two of its characters who had a rather large role in it so start this conversation my darling um so one of the um one of the things i really i'm not really sure where they're going with this season i'm kind of confused and i'm not really sure i am liking like the all the twists that they're doing but one of the things that i love is the is fitz's character and how he's kind of changing and evolving from someone who was in a horrible accident and now um, is different and is coming to terms with that and how he um, is kind of growing into this new self that he is, which isn't necessarily better or worse, but it's, it's different. It's a different person. And um, the, there's an interview um, with Comic Book Resources with um, Ian DeCastiker and Elizabeth Henstridge, who are Fitz and Simmons. And at the end, um, they ask kind of, if Fitz's brain trauma will be an ongoing challenge for him, or perhaps he could be cured one day by Marvel-style science. And at the end, he did a little, a little answer, but what I really loved was um, the last portion of his comment, which um, I'll read here. It's the realization that you never fully, that you never get fully better. It's about embracing the new side of you and making that work in the world you're in. I suppose the idea of a cure, I don't know if that could happen. I'm not too sure about that. It's still a work in progress for him. Um, and I really liked that answer. Um, I thought it was great for 
him and for the character to not be like, oh, this is, yeah, this is going to be fixed. Like, he's going to go back to normal. Because I don't know if he ever would, and I don't know if that would be a good thing. Because um, what this, what Fitz now is doing is talking about, um, like, different, I just lost my train of thought, um, about like diff, I feel like it's it's a parallel, to, well, not parallel. It's all right. I'm losing <laughs> kind of thought, and I'm the end there. But I just want to say that I really like what he said about this, and I really hope that they don't give Fitz a magical cure because I think it's a wonderful character to show on TV. So here, here's here's my spin on it, and I'm liking it a lot. But I'm also showing, I'm also enjoying the parallels between what he's going through and what Sky's going through at the same time. Yeah. Because both of them have gone through profound change that they both view as being somewhat less than what they were before. And are both trying to come to terms with it and trying to control it. And in the, in the way that he's had problems uh, making his way to what he was before and is actually making his way to something different than what he was before. Sky has actually been doing, it been damaging herself to try and find a way to come to terms with what she's become. Yeah. That just, and, uh, guy. I know. I know. Uh, my precious baby. I just want to like <laughs> wrap her up in blankets and, no, and let no one hurt her. Cause she is too precious. I mean, but the beautiful thing about, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now, is there are characters you care about, characters you've grown with, and characters who you may not have liked in the beginning or may not have understood in the beginning, but as they're coming to terms with who they are and what they're doing, you're coming to terms with accepting them as changing and evolving people, not just these, these two-dimensional characters. I think they're doing a wonderful job with the scripts. The acting has just been great fun the curveball that they threw in this week's episode for those of you who haven't seen it God. shut your goddamn ears here comes the spoiler there are two shields in the world right now well we found and out Coulson's about that last week and they yeah i but they just revealed it yeah, fully right, this right. week right, right. And, and they revealed it with some very interesting characters that we might have actually have seen before you know what we really need someone to make Tell this me. It's a spoiler alert sound that that has somewhat similar to, but not exactly the same as, because that would be copyright infringement. The red alert sound. Yeah, I like this idea. I will I say like that I took my headphones off in order to avoid <laughs> that spoiler and came back just as Dolan was saying, and they introduced some really interesting characters to do it. Nice. <laughs> Which is what I think he said. Well-timed. It was, it was really, I was proud of myself. What I really need from next week's episode is for Sky and Simmons to be locked in that cabin alone together. And they have to talk about their feelings and work out their issues and then make out. I so <laughs> like any other lesbian vacation ever. Yes. Process I, the relationship, sex. Yes. Then that's processing. Yes, that's what I need. Plus cats. Yes, probably. Definitely. Cool. The unfortunate thing is cats yep. would probably get killed when Sky lost track of her, her power at that point. It would be a horrible thing. 
don't think we want that to happen. Cats are smarter than that, though. Uh, they would find place safe places to hide so they don't get anything knocked on them. These cats are magical. So who wants to talk about X-Men Apocalypse? I do. Forever. <laughs> and why is it that we want to talk about X-Men Apocalypse right now? Because Zombrarian's favorite X-Man, since she was a tiny, teeny little Zombrarian, has always been Jubilee. And they just cast Jubilee. Oh. They did. It's a brand new actor. Her name is uh, one of those names that I could be pronouncing wrong. There's no way to know. Lana Condor? That's right. It could be Lana. It could be Lana. It's one of those. It could be Lana Condor, too. Yeah. Probably isn't, but it could be. I don't know where the emphasis goes on those celebs. (laughs) 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 Wow. Taking you back to old jokes. Um, anyway, so they cast Jubilee, and she's adorable and tiny, and part of what I really appreciate is that she looks so young, like, they're actually sticking with her relative age as compared to the other X-Men, which I like a lot. Also, there's gonna be Little Nightcrawler. Baby Nightcrawler. Baby Nightcrawler. And Baby Storm. Oh my god. Everyone's baby. And and everybody's favorite, Tuber, will be playing Gambit. It'll be Channing Tater. No, no, no. Channing Channing Tater, um, who, legit, guys, we were talking about this before the show. Man looks like a potato. He, he has the personality of one, too. Where they, like, carved down the bottom, like, one end of the potato, they carved down into this perfect man shape, and then they just left the unskinned potato on the top, and that's his head. So gross. <laughs> and, then they, and then they toasted the bottom part a golden brown and oiled it. That's so gross. But it yeah, is he's gross. Anyway, he's going to be Gambit, who is the most boring of the X-Men, which is okay, because Channing Tatum is the most boring of the magic the X-Men, guys. <laughs> and so he's going to get his own movie. No one knows why. Mm. I want a movie about Storm. Okay, thanks. I had some sort of, I think it was unofficial novelization of Storm's early life and discovery of her mutant powers when I was a kid, and I was all over it all the time. That sounds amazing. That and Young Indiana Jones and Jedi Academy, don't judge me. No judgment there. I love the Indiana Jones, uh, Young Indiana Jones series too. Oh my gosh, and the dog is in them. (laughs) The dog named Indiana is in them. It's amazing. I love everything about that. You know, I don't know what I'm not sure is amazing. What Slash 
want to know what we can talk about speaking of the 80s slash early 90s. What? Go ahead. We're going to talk about Ready Player One, which is this amazing, amazing book, and I love it. It, it was not a bad book. There's no question it's, about that. It's an, I love it. I think it's an amazing book. I think it's also going to be a cult classic, and I think it's going to be something that has a limited um, a limited appeal. Off the be in the beginning. No, I think that the book is going to end up having a limited appeal over time because I feel like the references are going in the book are going to get more and more obscure and less people are going to care about them because there are a lot of 80s sci-fi video game movie references in Ready Player One. That's true. Um, which is part of why I loved it. And I also think it's a book that is going to be an amazing movie. I think that the author wrote it envisioning a movie, and it follows a lot of um, 80s movie tropes and then twists some of them, but not others, which I love. My only problem with the one that's currently um, being worked on is that Steven Spielberg is going to direct it. And normally I would be all over that because Steven Spielberg is not a bad director all of the time. All of the time. <laughs> no, well, like, Steven Spielberg can Just be... Just most of the time, you know. Steven Spielberg can be really hit or miss. I think depending on how much he loves the project... Yeah, Like, you look at E.T., and that was something he obviously loved a lot, and so it turned out awesome. Um, my problem with Steven Spielberg directing Ready Player One is I feel like his stuff is too close to the source material. I don't think any of his movies are directly mentioned or referenced in the book. But I feel, I just, he feels too close to it. It feels like how it would feel if, um, I don't know, Joss Whedon were to direct a, uh, the, a documentary about the brown coats, you know? Not like the Did brown Did he coats. actually do that? No, there is no. a documentary about the fan um, campaign to get fire to get Serenity made, um, but Joss Whedon did not direct it. This would be like if he directed it. It's just a little bit weird to me. I don't know. I, I kind of think number one, he's got the vision to be able to do it. Oh yeah, I think he's the right type of director to do it. I'm just. Hit or miss is always the right type of director to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and mm -hmm. his mm -hmm. style will work well for the book. Mm -hmm. And even even in in one of his less favorable films, uh, AI artificial intelligence, uh, which I, was that one, my mom. It was a hit or miss film. Uh, it, you either loved it or you hated it. More people hated it than loved it. But there were a number of other. Uh, 
extraneous reasons for that other than the way it was directed, you know, part of which was the fact that he kind of came in halfway through the concept and decided to stick with the original concept that, that Kubrick had developed and died before he could bring it to fruition. So, you know, when, when he works with one hand tied behind his back like that, uh, sometimes it can be hit or miss. I think you're right that when he has the passion for a project, and this is a project that he's, he's wanted to do for close to 10 years, that I think, Is that you know, how long that book has been out? The book has been out since the late 80s. Uh, the late 80s, early... No. No. No, no, the book came out in... Uh, God, I just had that. Just Don't you losing time again? Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, no, the came book out in is... 2011. Just, yeah, the book is like three, four years old. Four years old. old. Yeah. So he cannot have wanted to do this for 10 years. <laughs> he did a bad job. You yeah. ruined everything. Unless Steven Spielberg can time travel, which I would not put past him. I, I think he very well could. I have no problem with that. <laughs> so, yeah, that makes me eh. I don't you know. know what, I, you know what makes me happy, though? Well, we're about to hear another phenomenal segue. Go for it. I'm just good at them, Dome. Don't hate. Nobody's hating. Appreciate. Do not hate. Appreciate. Is that like give a hoot, don't pollute? Never mind. Go on. Gosh, Dome, you're not even gangster. <laughs> not oh. even in the least. So. <laughs> Why would you want to be a G? That's only two points in Scrabble. <laughs> Q is better. <laughs> oh my god, I love you so much. <laughs> I love you so much right now. Hey, um, so speaking of hit or miss movies, Star Trek 3 is a thing that they're doing because money and whatever. Because money and J.J. Abrams doesn't have enough yet. But J.J. Abrams continues on his streak of finding amazing villains and is looking at... I is it Idris? Idris. Or? I think it's Idris. Idris Elba. To play the villain of Star Trek Three. Now, uh, who is he not going to be? Khan. Because... <laughs> we're gonna have. To, are we gonna be? I wouldn't uh, be so sure about that. He could be Khan. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, they've already retconned it once. What's to stop them? I yeah. could be Khan. That's what oh, she said. Retcon all the things. Retcon like. Oh yeah. Oh, you know it. And we're all just going to walk around going, I'm con. No, no I'm con. God. <laughs> but yeah, this is the guy who was, in my opinion, the best part of the Thor franchise. So, yeah. yep. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Drizelba is everything. And right now, I'm not remembering what else he's been in, because I'm... Luther! Yes, thank you. And Pacific Rim and The Wire. Yeah, yep. two kind of really small projects there. Oh, yeah. whatever. He's amazing, and I love him. He's glorious. Even when he's not wearing golden contacts. Very true, very true. Well, American Horror Story 3 is a thing. Um, yeah, it was last year. 
year before. Yeah, and now it's American Horror, American Horror Story, Story 5. five? American Eight? Horror Story 5. 27? Is, isn't this the last year of it, though? Um, I believe so. Um. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know what? Lady Gaga starring in the next one. You know oh, what you're thinking, Dome? It's, it's, it's Jessica Lange's last year. Yeah. Uh, and they're replacing her with Lady Gaga. Oh, then it will be the last season. <laughs> so let us contemplate those choices for a moment. That is a decision that they have made. It's going to be a very expensive wardrobe, but meat prices are going up. <laughs> So it, it's now a rush to sign everybody for the next season, and uh, Jessica Lang is not returning for American Horror Story Hotel. That was announced. Wait, she's not returning for Hotel? She is not returning for a hotel. The hotel, that's the one that Lady Gaga's in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's next year's, yeah. This, that's the one that's coming up. That's the next version. Yeah, so this Freak hotel. Show was her last. Correct. So, yeah, stuff. Which it, I, and I'll be anxious to see if that's going to work. Because I do, because... Sorry, go ahead, Tim. It's just that she's become the hallmark of every season. Uh, and it's like... There's always comes a point in every show where one of the main characters leaves, and you wonder if it's going to continue. American Horror Story is different than most in that each season has had its own separate identity. What's kept it as, quote, American Horror Story is this cadre, this central post of characters, of which Jessica Lange, I think, has been one of the most important. And uh, the blonde kid whose real name I can never remember, and so I always just call him Tate. The blonde kid. The blonde <laughs> kid who saw the aliens and had lobster hands. Lobster hands? Just to conflate uh. all of his characters at once. Oh my god. The old lobster hand character strikes again. God, I hate it when that happens. Well, you, you look for a, a, a pot of boiling water at that point, and you can never find it. Mm. No, he was a good guy. Or a steamer. Exactly. Um, you, know, you don't need to kill him. You can just cut off the claws. That's the good part. <laughs> you know why I want wow. to see this next mm -hmm. season? Um, because I will say Lady Gaga is very easy to make fun of. Um, that is true. Because she's weird yeah. as anything. However, also a man. What? what? She is. Why don't we not say transphobic things? I'm um, not saying transphobic things. I'm not saying that her being a man is bad. She just is. 
Anyway, she also tends to surprise me with um with her talent. Like she doesn't always display it. And then every once in a while you're just like, "Oh yeah, she's actually got something going there." I I think her, she deserves um, catches no question about it. Like her sound and music performance, I was expecting to be like, but I was like, wow, this shit is really good. Yeah, or like her um, duet with Tony Bennett. Yeah. Of which there have been several, I think, haven't there? Mm, I have no idea. Or did they just do Baby It's Cold Outside? Either way, it's one of the only versions of that song I can tolerate. Yeah. So... I'm willing to give her a chance. I think that she could do really well in it. Yeah. I think you may well be right. And I think if but they time replace, will tell. Oh, sorry. I was going to say if they replace um, Jessica Lange with Angela Bassett, I, you know, I will still miss Jessica Lange for herself, but I don't think I will miss what she brings to the show. Because I think Angela Bassett brings that plus some. The good thing about American Horror Story is that I don't think we're going to lose everyone in that tentpole of characters that has traveled from series to series to series. In each each yearly reincarnation of the project, Yes, Jessica Lange has been amazing and wonderful and a strong character and and charismatic as hell. But new people have also come and gone. Uh, I think what what frightens me a little bit is that this time with her leaving, it's going to leave a big hole in the kind of cast cohesiveness that we all really have come to like. But we'll see. I mean, I think we need to give it a chance. And it got deadly quiet all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) People are dying. American Horror Story is killing them off. Evidently. Um, does anybody care about a live-action Star Wars television series? Oh, God. Star Wars? <laughs> well, this I War did in 95. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rumor is there's a new show coming to ABC in the fall. And since Disney bought Lucasfilm, they have wanted to do a Star Wars television series and they wanted to do a live action one but now they're waiting to see how the movie the new movie goes and again jj you have it within your power to screw this up that's all i can say you you realize this is going to be the first movie without the 20th century fox drum fanfare at the beginning it's going to open up right. with When You Wish Upon a Star. And audiences are just not going to be able to handle that. Shouldn't it start with <laughs> Abba's Money, Money, Money? 
I think <laughs> now is the team going to happen? Uh, when's it going to happen? Like what, what time frame? What do you I know? No. Like, is it going to happen before the Clone War thing? Is it going to happen after this new movie? Uh, nobody's really saying anything at this point other than if the movie does well, ABC right. says, Disney says, we want to do this. And that's well, they, all they had said originally, I mean, back when, back when Episode 3 came out, they originally had said when they put, like, the warning out to all the other Jedi... Like don't come here because they're executing us. But that was going to be the the series. Like what happened to the Re Jedi between that point and the beginning of Star Wars Episode Four? That's the last I heard. Yeah, but that was years. <laughs> All uh, it's it's really funny because everybody's ruminating on what possibly could be, where it could possibly fit into the universe. And uh, nobody really has anything. So there's basically an awful lot of rumors as we sit and watch to see if J.J. Abrams can pull this off and ruin <laughs> another franchise the way he ruined the Star Trek franchise. Everything. Well, Ruins everything he touches. He can't. Except you know, Fringe. Here's the thing. Fringe was so good. What the fuck happened? It was so good. <laughs> But here's the thing, JJ is like, we can't be worse than episodes one through three, right? <laughs> and we'll uh, see. Yeah, yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. In <laughs> <laughs> the answer, if if you if you think it, it may happen. Uh -huh. And there's the problem. And normally at this time, it's the time at which we make the segue into the guest portion of the show. And the guests who have been uh, supplying comments early through the first half of the show has encouraged them to, which is a good thing. Uh, <clears throat> there's a voice you may have recognized uh, if you're a fan of the show or if you're the fan of the show, the only fan of the show that we actually have. Uh, the voice of uh, <laughs> formerly Illustrator X, uh, Brian Belanger. Brian, welcome back, my friend. Hello. And wait, is, is Dead Redhead here? Hello! Why, hello. <laughs> she's downstairs about ready to shoot you right now. She won't be with us for the rest of the show, but she sends her love. <laughs> and with Brian is his yeah, brother, exactly. Derek Winchester. Hello. Derek. Hello. <laughs> and with Derek is... Davis, part of the triumvirate. Chuck, welcome to you as well. Hello. The book yeah, is called yeah, yeah. A Study in Terror, <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Revolutionary Stories of Fear and the Supernatural. So let's start with Derek about where this came from. How did this book happen? It actually, in a sense, starts with Brian. Um, at the time, Brian was working on it with a new publishing company called Dapted, uh, and they were putting together a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, or they were talking about putting together a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle anthology um, of his horror 
writings, or at least his non-Sherlock Holmes writings. And when I heard about it, I was like, well, here's all the stories you have to make sure you include, and here's why they're important. And um, then the person who was kind of in charge of that at the time made me an offer said, well, you, you seem to know a lot about this more than us even. Would you be willing to put this together? And so I did, and I contacted uh, Chuck Davis to do uh, his article that's in the book, and I contacted uh, Professor Joel Jensen uh, to write an article, and we, I compiled it all together, and then the publishing company went out of business, which was not good. Um, and then I didn't know what to do, and then uh, Chuck suggested I contact MX, and they're pretty much known as the number one Sherlock Holmes publisher uh, in the world. So, but they're mainly fiction, so I didn't have, you know, I wasn't sure how this was going to uh, play out, uh, but DMX contacted me and, and really wanted to do the project, uh, and then also wanted to make it into a two-volume set. So that's how the uh, collection came out, and the whole point behind the anthology is to let kind of everyone know that Doyle wrote some amazing fiction beyond the Sherlock Holmes stories, uh, even though those are his most important works. There's so much other uh, rich literature uh, that he wrote. I mean, besides Kipling, he's probably the most important writer from the end of the Victorian to the beginning of the Edwardian time period. So where did this come from within you? What, what was it that originally got you involved in the Sherlock Holmes Doyle universe? You know, honestly... I've always liked Sherlock Holmes. The first book I remember reading was in eighth grade. I read, uh, I read um, A Study in Scarlet, the first book, and I just was like, this is amazing. And one of the reasons I found that book so amazing was that halfway through, it becomes a completely different book. Pretty much, Holmes solves the crime at the first half of the book, and then suddenly you're in the middle of Utah uh, with the Mormons. And I'm like, how, what? And then it just kept building. And then finally, by the end of that book, you're back with Holmes. And it was such a, an interesting book. I was like, how could an author put that much faith in his readers to give him such a curveball and then have faith that they'd make it to the end? And of course, you know, I did. And so did most other uh, readers of the text. And then when I was in high school, uh, I remember this because I was homesick and I had a collection of kind of one of those weird short story collections with like a bunch of different people who don't go together. And um, one of the stories in there was The Horror of the Heights. And that's when I was like, wow, I did not know that Doyle, the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, wrote a weird fiction story that rivals out of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, and I was blown Way. And that's when I was like, I have to read more by this guy. And it just kind of went from there. Um, and he's always been, you know, pretty much one of my two favorite authors since then. So you got this idea for a book by Brian talking about somebody else's book and you getting talked into doing it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, I kind of fell in my lap. You know, uh, really, it was kind of interesting because I didn't. You know, I when I made suggestions, I never intended to be the one uh, taking it over. So you had an 
idea in just talking about this that you wanted to mold some of the scholarly aspects of reviewing his work and dissecting his work along with pieces of work about him, uh, pieces of work by him that most of the public had never actually known about. Right. I mean, and one of my, my fears, of course, is, you know, there's kind of a renaissance of Doyle at the moment, but when this was started a few years back, there was still that people who the new Doyle for Sherlock Holmes or they knew him because he was a guy who was convinced that fairies were real. And there's so much more to the man than that. Um, and even for that kind of thing, what people don't realize is often with his, you know, work with involving the, um, or investigating the paranormal, he still followed typical investigative format. Um, but at the time period, I mean, they, there's a lot of stuff they didn't know, obviously we know now. So, um, you know, he, he always tried to take an objective view. Um, you know, obviously Houdini probably disagree with Doyle's objective view, but he always tried that. So I wanted to make sure people knew there was so much more that was kind of being forgotten about Doyle and, and bring that out. So Chuck, tell me a little bit about how you got involved in the project and what you brought to it. Well, uh, Derek and I go back several years and uh, we just recently got in, back in touch a few years ago and uh, we started talking about Doyle. And I told him that the only story I ever read about from uh, Arthur Conan Doyle was Horror of the Heights. And I'm an arrow geek and that uh, goes way back. I think I, I told somebody I once saw writers actually fly. Uh, so Derek talked to me about this uh, this project of his, and uh, said it was going to include Horror of the Heights, which is my favorite Doyle story. He said, and he asked me, "Well, you're the airplane extra. Why don't you, uh, you know, talk about how close and how far Doyle got to being accurate in uh, his predictions of flight?" And the rest is kind of like in history. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a very interesting uh, portion of the book, uh, and that's also a story that I had not known existed. So, you know, that yeah, is quite honestly... I'm sorry? No, I was just, just going to say, like I said, it's the only one that I ever wrote, read, wrote. <laughs> Uh, now he's writing Doyle's stories. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm writing a Sherlock Holmes story. Uh, it's the only one I ever read. Because anybody who knows me will know I'll read anything that has anything to do with airplanes. <laughs> now, Brian, you're the you're the one that I know best of all uh, of the three of you guys. And I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's simply a fact. And when you left the show two and a half, three years ago uh, to uh, work with this uh, other company, that <laughs> uh, and you pitched this, uh, you had this idea through the company 
for this uh, Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle kind of anthology book. And you started to bring your brother into it. And then you got involved in it as well after that company went away and you started working with it on your own. What did you bring into the mix? Well, I draw stuff. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> so I draw, I designed the covers. And um, the other thing was that uh, Derek off, you know, asked me to, to do an article. And I thought the obvious thing was the fact that one of the biggest things about Doyle was his love of the supernatural and the whole thing that, oh my God, he believed in fairies, he must be crazy and so forth. And I'm like, well, there's an interesting take. Why don't we do an article about modern spiritualists because God knows there's enough of them out there right now and I happen to know a witch. <laughs> so I I called him up and said, would you mind being interviewed? And, you know, it's going to be straightforward. And he answered the questions. And, of course, this is the one least re <laughs> worst reviewed part of the anthology is like, what a great, what a great anthology, except for this thing about the, you know, spiritualism. And I'm like, well, there you go. But <laughs> that, was my, that was my contribution. And I got to make a drawing of a mummy that's, here's my niece. So I was very happy about that. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. But the interesting thing is that that project actually squid quite nicely into a second project that you and your brother have been working on. And that is the McDougal Twins with Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Yes, indeed. And Derek, this... you got to take that one. you got to take that one. That's all your baby. Well, I, <laughs> it's it's both of our babies. I'm sorry. Yeah, there are twins. Mm -hmm. All right. No, I've I, and I've got to tell you. Uh, the question. Okay. Well, let let me just say All something right, well, first here. In that. Okay. In that, I I got a chance to look at a lot of the drawings from the first book. The Dougal Twins Mysteries with Sherlock Holmes, The Amazing Airship Adventures. Because uh, I just, I, I think I happened to be at your house one day and you said, you need to take a look at this. And I looked at it and just kind of went, this is really, really cool. And, you know, as you, as you talked the story with me in the background for it and the kind of setup for the whole thing. Uh, and this is a, a series, of, hopefully a series of young readers books about these two children who live next to Sherlock Holmes, and he's their good friend. And this is set uh, in, in, in London during that time period. And, you know, Illustrator X, Brian, I've got to tell you, it's, it's literally some of the funnest work I've ever seen you do. It's something that you clearly enjoy doing, and you clearly excelled with it, and I, I couldn't be happier for you for it. Thank you. Well, all I can say is wait till you see the new book, because, man, I am having a blast with the new one. That's the, uh, wonderful. Attack of the Violet Vampire. <laughs> that will be coming up very shortly, and that is, I, I got to say, that is hands down best stuff we've ever done. I'm really proud yeah, so, of the new book. Uh, That's cool. That one comes out. So, Derek, tell out, me about that story. Well, uh, um, 
Wait a minute. Although it's, you know what, it is that? missing. It is missing airplane. We don't have any airplanes in it, so we may have to completely start over. But we have, we do we do have a, a, a different aerial device in this particular book, though. Am I giving too well, much away? Is, well, you're not giving away um, any royalties. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, the, the second book is it starts off pretty soon after uh, the first book uh, in that the, the twins having solved the airship mystery are now um, doing well as detectives. And suddenly there's a, a um, mysterious vampire that is attacking London. And as the twins go to see the premiere uh, of um, a play version of the adventure of the speckled band uh, as Sherlock Holmes's guests uh, the vampire attacks the crowd outside and the mystery of this book is um, finding out what exactly or who exactly is uh, a violet vampire and how is it flying and attacking uh, everything and there's also a subplot where they also figure out uh, what happened to their uh, mother's ring which appeared in the attack so there's kind of two things going on and for people who uh love sherlock holmes there's a ton more sherlock holmes easter eggs in this book there's more sherlock holmes characters uh including toby which is sherlock holmes's dog uh plays a pivotal role in this book um and it's it's a lot of fun and already in england in pre-release it's been a number one bestseller on the Sherlock Holmes list on Amazon UK uh, for several weeks now. How weird is that? <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. I mean, <laughs> having a best-selling Sherlock Holmes book in the 21st century, it is kind of weird. Well, not only kind of weird, but that, you know, Three Americans have, have now gotten to the top of the Sherlock Holmes charts yeah. in in his birthplace. That's, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because even, yeah. even A Study in Terror went number one. Uh, it, both volumes at one point in time went number one as well on that uh, UK list. So you're right. Um, it is kind of strange to have that happen, especially with A Study in Terror, because that's mainly 19th century literature selling well in the 21st century. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of stunned, guys, because you've taken a very esoteric portion of Doyle's work and brought it back into mainstream understanding again, and that's a wonderful thing. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. We try. <laughs> <laughs> and we do it all without Benedict Cumberbatch or Robert Downey. <laughs> Or Basil uh, Rathbone for that. That's right. Or my my man Jeremy Brett. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. well, no, seriously. If uh, if you look at my artwork in the series, I I try to make my stuff match the Jeremy Brett BBC series from uh, the late eighties, early nineties, because I'm blown away by how accurate that series was. And I'm saying this as a devout fan of the Benedict Cumberbatch series. Which is, yeah, on its own, horribly wonderful. Horribly yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. What's horrible about it more than anything else is that a series, uh, 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 a season is three episodes long, which drives and, me insane. Which, yes. 
That's, yeah, that's get, this year you only get one episode, man. And it's a Christmas yeah. episode to boot, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Yes, he's doing the blue. They're doing the blue carbuncle, which is the Sherlock Holmes Christmas Ooh. story. Yep, wonderful story, too. Very nice. So, Derek, I've met you a couple of times. Brian, I've known you for, God, almost 10 oh. years now. Yeah, I'll pay you back someday, don't worry. Yeah, at some point, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Here's the real question. Your brothers, yeah. uh, I noticed that right off the bat. It happens. Yeah, we noticed how, growing up. How difficult is that to work with your brother? It's actually not difficult. It's actually easy. I, it, I is very, it's, yeah, it is it's very, very easy. Because Derek and I have been, we've been doing stuff off and on. We've had projects off and on for, God, what, 15 years now? Um, you know, actually, we did our old I would say actually, it's actually now 20. Yeah, we did a comic years. series, 23 Skidoo, uh, which is how I met you in the first place, Dom. Um, That's true, yes. <laughs> you know, we there's like a, a whole series of things, we like a whole graphic novel series, uh, Skullduggery, we did, had a little animation. We, um, we've had other uh, novels that we collaborated on that just have not seen the light of day. Um, here's, an, here's an interesting aside, Dom. Ten years ago... You had me on your show talking about skullduggery. I don't know. You probably don't even remember. Oh, I absolutely do remember that. And two years ago, I had you on talking about your other website. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, actually, that was last summer. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think the one problem I've had the whole through this whole thing is. You know, back in my head, I'm like, we really need a business contract between the two of us because it's just good business sense. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of difficulties but in going in business. You, what, what will your descendants what? sue each other over? Well, By that's descendants, <laughs> I mean Brian, your your cat. Cats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that little one is scrappy. Yes. <laughs> But then my, my gut is like, I'll, I'll be like halfway done writing up a contract and I'll just be like, well, then the overriding clause is, look, we have to be cool to each other or mom will never talk to us. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, this really is the trump card. Yeah. It's, so, so you know, you've got a new project Derek, that you're working on right now. I'm sorry? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. You sounded like you were wrapping up. I wasn't. We need a word. <laughs> we need you need to be like, and finally. Because you're like, you have this other project. And yes. it sounded like that was the last thing you were going to say. You were going to mention the website or something. And then, mm. well, no, I, I, I will thank them. And at that point, that's when I would go, Kriana, and then you'll know. Well, Sorry, I'm we're working this out. out. It's like we've never done this before. So you know? you're thanking them now? <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, not yet. Okay. So just very briefly, like, just to, like my head is going to fall onto my keyboard in about thirty seconds. Uh, so. Uh, well, well, we'll we'll wrap this up for you very shortly, my dear. Just want to briefly touch on Sherlock Holmes and Transformers of Time. 
Um, actually, that's that's actually kind of on hold. That's been on hold, on hold for a little while. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> nice don't. Nice closing. God. <laughs> Uh, well, that's what I get for reading his biography. That's what you do get. Uh, uh, basically, I mean, there's a couple of things. I've got a, uh, a story coming out. It'll come out in the fall in a giant book uh, that has 50 authors contributing Sherlock Holmes stories to it. Uh, Chuck is Chuck has a story in it's going to be called the MX Anthology of New Sherlock Holmes. It uh, will all proceeds of the sales of the book will go to benefit um, the Undershaw estate, which is the house that Doyle wrote uh, Hound of the Bastervilles in, and we're trying to save it from being bulldozed and turned into condos. So that that's coming out. The new McDougal twins if book, were, The Attack of the If it were Empire. being turned into condors, that would be an entirely different story. Yes, it would. That's true. <laughs> Um, and then possibly also, uh, I've got a, you know a couple other things. I'm also working with the Denver Museum of Nature and Science uh, current a little bit. Um, they are going to have a three-month exhibit called The Science of Sherlock Holmes uh, from October t- uh, to January of 2016. And uh, hopefully I'll be giving an author talk and working on uh, a puzzle room with them for aimed at younger kids. So I've got quite a bit going on there. Um, as well as some other projects, which I won't mention at the moment. No, but we'll be mentioning them as time goes on in the near future. Derek, Brian, Chuck, thanks, guys. It, it, it's good to hear from you all again. This is a wonderful, wonderful series of books. Look forward to seeing some more as time goes on. Kriana, why don't you, now that we're hearing the music, actually, talk about who's going to be on the show in the next couple of weeks. I would if I had any idea. But uh, it doesn't. It doesn't look like next week there there is anyone. So we'll see after that. Who knows, Sir Sarah? Well, uh, good. Thanks. Um, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con and Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. Tonight's intro music provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at robwattsonline.com. Doom. I want to thank our guest tonight, Derek and Brian Belanger. Our partner in crime, Chuck Davis. The book is amazing. It's called The Study of Terror. It's Arthur Conan Doyle's Revolutionary Stories of Fear and the Supernatural. I want to thank our cast tonight. From the Revere Time Vortex, this is Lee the Soundboard, and Woman of Words, Fiona and Slumberian. Thank you, ladies. And from our own person in Galaxy Quest, our own Sir Sarah Lady Knight. Thank you, my dear. Wow. This is Dom saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know.